good people and inhabitants of planet Earth, both foreign and domestic, welcome to the Dear Human Paradox. I'm your host, Darius Riddick, and I would like to thank you for joining me in what is nominally the next stage of evolution for humankind. Uh, to all of you, thank you for your investment of time, a paradigm of which you can spin, but you do not know what the return of investment will be. However, here, I will do my best to make sure that that investment is well invested. So as we get started on this day in history, July 25th, 1978, the world's first test tube baby is born. Now, give me just a, a few seconds of your extra time here before we get into what we're going to talk about today for me to read this through courtesy of history.com. On July 25th, 1978, Louise Joy Brown, the world's first baby to be conceived via in vitro fertilization, IVF, is born at Oldham and District General Hospital in Manchester, England, to parents Leslie and Peter Brown. The healthy baby was delivered shortly before midnight by cesarean section and weighed in at 5 pounds, 12 ounces. <clears throat> before giving birth to Louise, Leslie Brown had suffered years of infertility due to, block, due to blocked fallopian tubes, and in 19... Jesus. In November 1977, she underwent the experimental IVF procedure. A mature egg was removed from one of her ovaries and combined in a laboratory dish with her husband's sperm to form an embryo. The embryo was then implanted into her uterus a few days later. Her IVF doctors, British gynecologist Patrick Steptoe and scientist Robert Edwards, had begun their pioneering collaboration a decade earlier. Now remember that because it's going to be important. Once the media learned of the pregnancy, the Browns faced intense public scrutiny. Luis's birth made headlines around the world and raised various legal and ethical questions. Now, just keep in mind everything that we just mentioned, um, but we have a little bit more to read. The Browns had a second daughter, Natalie, several years later, also through IVF. In May 1999, Natalie became the first IVF baby to give birth to a child of her own. The child's conception was natural, easing some concerns that female IVF babies would be unable to get pregnant naturally. In December 2006, Louise Brown, the original test tube baby, gave birth to a boy, Cameron John Mullinder, hopefully I didn't butcher that, who also was conceived naturally. The, today, IVF is considered a mainstream medical treatment for infertility. Hundreds of thousands of children around the world have been conceived through the procedure, in some cases with donor eggs and sperm. Now, <clears throat> Uh, in story. <laughs> this is not what we're going to be discussing today, but I wanted to start as per usual with this day in history just to really dial in to show how quickly humankind has begun to understand how life can be improved with uh, advances in technology. Now, understandably, technology can be a scary thing. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because so many people are trying to get a grasp on what it means for AI to begin to be involved uh, more <clears throat> in human productivity. And though its progression has been very aggressive as far as uh, the, the pace, the rate, uh, we can look back at instances like this and really see how, you know, research and science and technology has significantly improved human way of life. Many humans exist today because of uh, people like, let me see here, let me go back to their names so I don't butcher it, British gynecologist Patrick Steptoe and scientist Robert Edwards because of their dedication to craft. And arguably, you know, not, not even arguably, quite literally, if it wasn't for them, like, like the number state, there would be hundreds of thousands of people that wouldn't even exist. And, you know, there is no secret that there are, are, 
uh, genetic disorders. There are metabolic disorders. There are, there are physiological uh, uh, inconceivabilities that make human life, uh, n- I wouldn't say not possible, but significantly stunt its its ability to to thrive. And sometimes that is aggressive to the point where it can even be possible. You know, infertility does occur in a lot, <clears throat> a lot of uh, humans, both men and women. Um, and, and though I don't know that number off the top of my head because I'm not a gynecologist, right? And then look it up and I don't truly care to right now. But what I do know is that the proof is in the pudding. You know, people like this and instances like this show us that, you know, it may take time. But eventually we get to the point where certain things that have had that have affected humankind for millennia, for centuries, for that, for hundreds of thousands of years are now a thing of the past. And this is just 1978. So we're talking about almost 50 years ago. So less than half a century. And we went from um, uh, couples, men, women suffering, trying to figure out what some of the, the issues are to then being able to still create life in, 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 um, in, in vitro. So in, in laboratory methods, and the same can be said about a lot of things that happen or a lot of physi- physiological or metabolo me- metabolic, uh, I-, I would say block blocks, uh, <laughs> just things that prevent us from living our best life. How about that? Uh, and, you know, it's just it's fascinating, man, you know, because in the moment in the 1960s, 1970s, you know, it's probably so frustrating for them trying to figure this thing out. They probably came to so many uh, different obstacles, so many different challenges, just the pressure from the press and the media and you know the ethical concerns and the legal concerns and so many things going on. But, you know, they didn't give up. They, they didn't give up. And because of it, you know, the people have been successful, have lived successful lives, they've lived healthy lives. And and it's probably made so many couples happy, you know, th- that they're still able to conceive a baby. So it's awesome. And, you know, though that what the things that we talk about are, are incomparable to the the science that goes into, you know, IVF and how it's progressed over the past 50 years. We can then begin to bring some of these things together and just to, to look at how some of these challenges were overcome. They, pre- they were presented with questions. And in order to answer these questions, they first looked at the simplicity of it. You know, there's there's an obstacle here to why this cannot happen, to why she cannot conceive a baby. So is there a way that we can overcome this obstacle? And that same the, the that same question methodology is how we can overcome some of the things that we've been discussing throughout the past couple months of the dirty human paradox, specifically, you know, with muscle, right? We discussed over the past couple months that muscle is key to human locomotion. Everything happens because of muscle. If we don't have muscular contraction on the cellular cellular level, oh my goodness, I cannot say that word today, on the cellular level, then human life cannot exist. You cannot move. You cannot you cannot hug your significant other. You cannot get up and go to work. You cannot go to the bathroom. You cannot stand up. You can't walk around. You can't laugh uncontrollably at the funny jokes that you have uh, that you share with friends at dinner. Uh, you, you can't take a shower. You can't scratch your head. You can't do these things because it all is enabled by muscular contraction. So with that 
in mind, our theory is that when we improve the performance of skeletal muscle, we improve all of human locomotion and things linked to it. Not if you want to just be on an athletic playing field, not if you want to be uh, a juicy bodybuilder, not if you want to be a marathon runner, but if you just want to have a better quality of life. <clears throat> so based on what we discussed with the past couple episodes, it is the simplicity of finding and identifying the first obstacles to then overcome just, just the smallest of questions. And similar to the story that we started off with the world's first test tube baby, when you identify what the primary obstacle is, you can then begin to answer that question simply by overcoming that obstacle. And I know I say simply not to de not to detract from what kind of obstacles that they had to overcome, but in the simplicity and the fact that it could be as simple as overcoming a small obstacle that could yield generous results. In the first thing, when we talk about this idea of skeletal muscle is to, to, is to, is to understand that it is linked to everything. So simply eating healthier or eating, having more healthful choices is linked to skeletal muscle. Being hydrated is linked to skeletal muscle. Moving more is linked to skeletal muscle because we know the age old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. There will be a decline in muscle growth and development over the human lifespan because the same metabolic hormonal processes don't occur as rapidly or, or as great of a, a quantity the older we get, right? We understand that. But the earlier on we begin to capitalize on these ideas, these theories, uh, the, the better chances we have of delaying that onset further on. But it's first the acknowledgement of how many things that you can do that truly overcome the simplest of obstacles that lead to generous results. And though we can't say uh, as much as uh, all of that can be right now, we can look back at everything that we've discussed over the past couple months and begin to understand how truly fruitful just the smallest things could be. And what I will say and what I will challenge you all with as we wrap this up is to do something today that you feel would add to this paradox of improving skeletal muscle. What is it that you can do today that will improve to them that will improve movement or add to your ability to to go from point A to point B, improve your quality of life, whether it's more high to being more hydrated, cutting out a habit, uh, eating, eating some fruit, <laughs> you know, eating some calcium before you go train, going to the gym for a little bit longer today, going for a walk, doing some pushups, whatever it may be. I challenge you today, right here, right now, to do something that will aid in that because we know how important it could be, not just for us, but for the generations to come and understanding how great life can actually be when you just overcome the simplest of obstacles. But until next time, stay durable, my friends.